Paul Ruddering. Paul Ruddering. It's like a Dutch rudder. <laughs> but it never ages. Never ages. And it can get really small. <laughs> anyway, my first choice. Your first choice. Um, <laughs> so, it's... it's, it's... Ant-Man! <laughs> Really small was an Ant Man joke. My, it brain, was an my joke. brain went to Benjamin Button. It's like, oh, <laughs> Benjamin Button doesn't I get can't, small. I can't tell him that was Brad Pitt. <laughs> he seemed so happy when he made the joke. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. For this. So welcome to the podcast nobody asked Happy for. Happy birthday! Thanks, man. <laughs> so today is our first birthday as a podcast, which is which is nice. Yeah. I feel very uncomfortable that I haven't said my name. He's Ian, and he's Graham. I, we, we should stick to the same formula. <laughs> okay. It was it was honourable of us to try and switch things up. I mean, you know, it's a celebration. You need to kind of go a bit bit crazy, but woo yeah. Crazy. So yeah, we we've been doing this for a year, which to be to be frank is eleven months longer than I thought we would have the patience for. Yeah, it definitely felt like it was going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a good idea. We'll give it a go, and then nothing happened. And then uh, weirdly, uh, people started listening to it. Yeah, and interacting <laughs> with us. I yeah. started getting weird messages from friends I hadn't spoken to in a while, saying things along the lines of, "Do you really think you could kill a cow with your bare hands?" It's <laughs> It's brought me a lot closer to some people and pushed me a lot further away from others. And, you know, <laughs> if that isn't what we did this for, then I don't know what it what was. What, what is? What, I can't. I Full disclosure, I had what can only be described as a danger nap at 7pm this evening. And I'm not functioning at the highest level of uh, cognitive athleticism. A danger nap? A danger nap, yeah. What the fuck is a danger nap? A danger nap is like a nap after about 5pm, because it's going to fuck your sleep for the rest of the night. Okay, okay alright, I can get that. So, so is it the worry that the nap will just bleed into a sleep? No, 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 it's the worry that the nap messes up your sleep. So, oh, I, I, don't, I don't struggle from that, because my <laughs> sleep is fucked anyway. It'll just be the difference between, oh no, I can't sleep until 3, instead of I can't sleep until half 1. Yeah. Basically, but for us, for us normies, it is the concern that now, when it comes to going to sleep, I won't be able to sleep because I had a nap at seven p.m. Well, that's the thing. Apparently, the best time for the best length of nap is twenty-three minutes. Yeah, because it's enough for you to get into the area where you get recovery, but not enough to enter it's like proper sleep cycles. I think the other thing to do is to. Have a coffee. Have, yeah, have a coffee. Go to sleep. Nap for 23 minutes. And wake then the up. caffeine will hit you as you're yeah. waking up. Which, if anything, you shouldn't have done tonight because that would have... Oh, that would have been... I mean, that's not just a danger nap. That is... That's full on... Um, That's Jackass the Nap movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Jolly Knoxville. <laughs> this is Danger Nap. <laughs> that would be like the shittest Jackass stunt, wouldn't it? Well, it depends. It's, what just, it's just Johnny Knoxville going to bed at eight and then waking up at <laughs> half nine, and then charting the fact he has to go to bed slightly later. Well, or but he'd do that, but it'd be in like a tiger enclosure. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, now that I would, I wouldn't have to. Well, there are questions to have based on that if you said it, but I would, <laughs> I would understand the phrasing "danger nap." 
now we've had that obvious conversation. I'm glad I took detailed notes on uh, on danger naps. Yeah, I um, mean, to be fair, you know, we're celebrating a year in the life of the podcast. What better way to do it than go off on a ridiculous tangent as soon as we open? True, because as, as commented on this podcast previously, that's all podcasting is. <laughs> no, Nobody's here to hear us talk about films. They're here for me to put into scale how many seagulls I want to murder. So, over the course... Of this year, we have made between us three hundred and eight choices. Jeez. Um, guests on the podcast have made four. Yep. So we're well ahead. We 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 are winning. Much like Charlie Sheen, we are winning. Hashtag Tiger Blood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to touch that joke. Um, <laughs> we have had forty eight. The podcast nobody asked for top three lists. Okay. We have had 49 complete episodes. This would be our 50th. Yep, because we had a total of two weeks off. We've had three mini-sodes nobody asked for. Mm-hmm. So Halloween, November, and December. And then the beginning of this year, we started doing the League of Good Bad Movies episodes, and we've had eight of those. Yep. We have recommended 104 films, 50 of which are Midsummer. <laughs> <laughs> and for a peek behind the curtain, we do fantasy the podcast nobody asked for (laughs) where we keep track of who's had the most choices selected and you get a bonus point if your league of good bad movies uh, episode gets picked that month and i am currently winning 79 points to 75 however (laughs) graham and the thing have 154 which if i'm right because you selected the thing, it means every choice made could be the thing, which means you get the points for it. Yes. Yeah. So who is really winning? Hashtag Tiger Blood. Hashtag our <laughs> listeners. Uh, we have had the podcast downloaded in 47 countries. That's, that's over, ridiculous. Over six continents. I couldn't name 47 countries. So uh, these countries include uh, Nepal. Is that where the Dalai Lama is? The Dalai Lama a listener? I like to think so. That's the beer I put in the freezer. Nice. For a brief moment, I thought your freezer had an alarm on it. <laughs> the, the, the freezer beer alarm. Yeah, obviously. Everyone needs one. So you were saying Dalai Lama is a listener? I'm assuming. Is there well, a Dalai uh, alpaca? <laughs> just gonna let that out in the world. And it's and it's there. Uh, no, I don't think so. There is a Welsh Twitter account called Die Lama, nice, which is uh, Welsh words of it were wisdom. Uh, so we've had Nepal, we've had Iceland, we've had Rwanda. Uh, we've got nothing from Antarctica yet, so I really feel like our uh, icy cousins to the south really need to kind of pull their finger out of their frozen asses and yeah. actually listen. Bloody Kurt Russell. Wales comes in fourth. Behind the US and Scotland in terms of number of downloads. England has the most. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how do the whales, how do they download it with their fins? Um, whale song. They, they listen to it in whale song. It's a whale can song. You, yeah. um, can you give me a, an example of uh, what they might hear, please? Oh, it's just, it's just the podcast. It's just slightly more uh, underwater. <laughs> Echoey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. Was that as uh, was that as beautiful? Oh, and brave was, as you it, hoped it would be. It was 
hauntingly beautiful. Hauntingly. It's if anyone wants that on a CD for them to sleep to, let let me know. <laughs> um, so yeah, forty seven countries, which is fucking mental. Yeah. Again, given that I thought the only people listening to this would be our friends, mm. and they would stop after a while, <laughs> not realizing yeah. we have detailed analytics. So we obviously have, I think we've spoken about it before, we have our ideas spreadsheet. Yes. Uh, that is currently uh, running at a total of 233 episode ideas, some of which that have been done, some of which that will never see the light of day. Um, so my, 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 my favourite ones that have been added to the list, which yeah. is John Travolta films that would be better as Nicolas Cage, yeah. and Nicolas Cage films that would be better as John Travolta. <laughs> That's a double bill, obviously. It has to be a double bill. Sean Bean Deaths. Is on there, yeah. which I've kind of got quite a lot of time for. Um, <laughs> I heard that as Sean Bean deafs, as in like Sean Bean doing sign language. Deaf Jam Sean Bean. <laughs> Do you remember the Def Jam games? We talked about this the other day. We did, yes. They were great. Def oh, Jam Vendetta and yeah. something New York, Returns New York. Something like that. And you could play as Danny Trejo or Sean Paul. Yeah. Best Use of a Jet Ski is on there. Yep. Theme Park Rides That Deserve a Film Franchise. Because obviously we've had Pirates of the Caribbean and and uh, Jungle Cruise that have come from theme park rides. Yeah. So yeah, lots. There's lots of ideas. So I mean, if you thought maybe we were going to finish after a year, um, sorry. So we've had. I think you mentioned we had two guests so far, and we've guested on another podcast. The uh, movie that has been picked the most. Throughout. So picked final top threes, or just picked by either of us? Picked by either of us as a choice. Interesting. And I say the movie, it's a movie series, yeah. but it is um, The Matrix. I thought so. With five instances. Can you recall them all? Okay, so we had The Machines. Yep, that was in, in Villains Who Had a Point. I believe we had The Muppet and The Lego, The Matrix. No, we didn't have The Lego. I haven't got that on my list anyway. Just The Muppet, The Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had... Final Flight of the Osiris as an animated live action remake. Like, yep, yeah, live action remake. Yeah. Um, the first one that we had was is was from Matrix Reloaded. Oh, um, good scenes in bad movies. Yep, yeah, great scenes, yeah. terrible movies. The Burly Brawl. Yep. And I can't think of what the fifth one would be. The fifth one was um, post apocalyptic worlds where we could live our best life. Ah, uh, yeah, because it's just now. Just yeah. Now. <laughs> Which, for me, really was the episode where it started getting weird. We started toying with weird with the spelunking supercut back in the giddy days of, like, episode five or something. Yep. So, our top downloaded episodes, we have, uh, coming in at number five, Movie Society Tells Us to Love But We Don't, which was a surprise. Yeah, that's higher than I thought it was going to be. I think it's just because people, uh, that's definitely the kind of subject I would hate listen to. Yeah, yeah. Because well, I, yeah, you're right. Because it's kind of I'm going to listen to this and vehemently disagree with everything they're yeah. saying. That was uh, the first one. I had a friend message me and just tell me I disagreed with everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number four was the Midsummer Special. Yeah, which, which again is a surprise given it was over two hours long of us just talking about how amazing and fucked up Midsummer is. Yeah, I was. I again, that was another one, and actually links back into one of my. I mean, we, we'll talk about some favourite moments so far a little bit later, but one of the things that I had as a favourite moment was when we was when we said we were going to stick to an hour and 20 for the episodes. 
number three is villains who have a point, which was the first episode we had where we properly threw time constraints out the window because, and I quote, we're going to argue until we hate each other. Yeah. Another favorite moment I have listed is nearly falling out over rent. Yep. <laughs> but you told me I didn't have to pay it until... Uh... <laughs> number two, films we enjoyed but will never watch again. And number one, films where the soundtrack is better than the film. So episode one, which episode makes one. sense because it's been out there the longest. Yeah, it does. I've not got, So I have listened to everything we've recorded, but I've listened to it the week it came out. Yeah. Mainly to be like, did I say anything really, really stupid that I need to get in to edit out? Am I going to be cancelled before I'm a thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't even know if I could go back and listen to that one because I think we've... I'm, I'm not saying that we are particularly masters of the craft, but we are definitely a lot more polished now than we were week one. Because week one, I got very drunk and read a lot of what I was saying straight off of Wikipedia articles and didn't do any research beforehand. Oh, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I, was I coming straight from a rugby game or a rugby training thing? Or uh, No, it wouldn't have been a game because it was mid-pandemic. Oh, that's very, very true. Um, but yeah, I was coming from something. So before we get on to top moments from podding this year, obvious question for a birthday episode. What was your favourite birthday? Uh, on uh, the 21st of December one year, uh, we got re- really drunk. Uh, that's um, not your birthday, yeah? No, but it is Samuel Jackson's birthday. <laughs> so we got really drunk and watched a load of Samuel Jackson films. Nice. I like that. It was great. Uh, I, did, I did have a lot of time for Birthday Film Festival, where we double billed um face off and the rock no con air and the rock yeah. in my garden with a projector and a screen and that's now what i do every year yeah that's that's a good shout i think mine was uh not as as movie centered um but i spent the week in new york on my own that was fun that is fun when i was four i think we had a magician i did not have a magician when i was in new york unfortunately oh, that sucks so Batman in the underground car park, which is the third time I've mentioned this yep. podcast. <laughs> I uh, well, I didn't go to an underground car park for my fourth birthday. <laughs> I mean, would have been probably a, good. Would have been a bit weird. <laughs> Happy birthday, Ian. We know you like car parks. <laughs> <laughs> just wait here, and we'll just go hang out with the sun we like. <laughs> so, favorite moments from a year of podding. I was going to go down the top three route and I struggled because there were so many. So I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off mine. You rattle off yours and we'll maybe try and come to the top three. Okay. So uh, your dead mum's screaming face. My dead mum's screaming face. Which Are we, are we going to explain that in a little bit more detail? Um, just, just on the off chance. Just on the off chance uh, people haven't listened to it. I, mean, I think it was the first kind of, I don't want to say podcast trope, but it was kind of the first running joke, I think, from a from a previous episode right? so some episode episode 12 post-apocalypse worlds in which we could live our best life yeah i said i wanted to be what could only be described as the guitar gimp from mad max fury road because my job would have been to be a hood ornament while just playing guitar yeah it was then pointed out to me in a move that i was aware of but was hoping you hadn't done enough <laughs> reading into it to know that was a thing that the doof warrior as he goes by wears a mask made from his dead mum's screaming face. Therefore, for me to be the doof warrior, the the insinuation is I would have to wear my mum's face, which I heartily disagree with, but also think I could pull off. Well, you'd have to. <laughs> True, I, ha- I have watched Face Off. I do know how that works. 
so Killing Zombie Paddington is Killing, that Yep, definitely. Uh, a couple of favourite tangents we've gone off on, debating what tube stations we'd be named after. Yep. Um, and also the, which I, I termed as Seagull Genocide Desirability Maths. <laughs> Before we get onto that, <laughs> do you remember what those tube names were? You went with Baron Court, I think. We were. The Adventures of Baron Court and Kilburn. There we go. <laughs> but yes, you, you, were, you, you were saying uh, seagull maths. Se- seagull genocide desirability maths, which was essentially um, how many... How, how, determining how much you, you specifically wanted something to happen based on how many seagulls you would murder to ensure that would happen. Based, I believe, that I... I think I could kill a seagull every second and a half, which I found out by putting a stopwatch and miming strangling a seagull. Yeah, what I, I must... well, not strangling a seagull. It was a, it was a twist. It was a quick twist. It was a twist. It was a twist and pull. The one thing, and I think this was flagged at the time, Ian didn't take into consideration the time it would take to catch a seagull. But I think he was banking on there being some kind of seagull conveyor belt system that would assist I, him i was i was assuming the seagulls were prepped in some way and i yeah. just had to deliver the, the, the killing twist. blow yeah uh, i believe i believe i described it as a seagull sack muppet flesh is up there yeah oh and talking of muppets gonzo fucking chickens gonzo fucking chickens the muppet episode seems to be a fan favorite and i have a lot of time for that whenever i put it out on instagram that uh, so I, I put it out on instagram for this episode and said, look, we're, we're going to be talking about a year in podding, what was p- people's favourite moments been, and the majority of the replies were Gonzo fucks chickens. Yeah. Which, to be fair, Gonzo fucks chickens. I think there was also, at the time, I can't, I think maybe you got a text about, like, I can't, we, we spoke in depth about the scene with the, like, caustic acid on the Muppet skin. Yes. And I'm sure someone messaged you either to the into instagram or text you about like how they can't get the image how they can't get the image out i believe the phrase was muppet shake (laughs) (laughs) and the last one i had on my list was the uh aforementioned uh spelunking supercut yeah the the spelunking supercut is up there for me i referenced it earlier in the episode i still strongly believe i could kill a cow with my bare hands i've had a lot of people talk try to tell me i can't and I've done the same miming gesture for I mean, I appreciated your the logical um steps that you took in your head. Again, um, as long as long as you can apply pressure to the front of the cow's throat. So I, I'm envisioning so you kinda of got your, your your bicep there, and then it's just pulling the hand until it's Yeah, yeah. But also also, the cow is not going to just let you do it. Well, no, that's where the skill is involved. That's why, otherwise, every Tom, Dick and cow killer would be out there strangling cows to death. Yeah, they would never have invented the bolt gun. Yeah, yeah, that's up there with me. Um, constant references to Ted Mosby being the worst person alive. A lot of time for that as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the favourite... My my favourite thing that's come out of the podcast is the sheer amount of people who message us saying they either agree or just not even agree, just engaging us in conversation about stupid conversations we would be having in the pub anyway. Yeah, I mean that that's essentially what this is, right? We we took 
we took the stupid shit we talk about on a daily basis and recorded it and for the first time did a bit of research yeah <laughs> it, it's not uh like like we've again we've, we've kind of talked about before like it's not a easy thing to do there is research that's involved we've had to buy shit to make it happen editing takes uh time yeah that bloody editing god yeah god oh bastards but <laughs> it is it is legitimately all worth it because people legitimately seem to really enjoy it and i still can't quite wrap my head around that no it's it's been a, it's been a fun ride um thus far and i'm looking forward to birthday number two yeah I've um, had, I've had hopefully a... we will hang out in an underground car park yeah with a magician <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've had a, i've had a lot of comments about the things i've said and none of them have been compliments until until a year of podding. And also, like, if the only thing that came out of it was people learning that Gonzo fucks chickens, I think we've, uh, we've succeeded. So, so what, what are you saying? Top, top, top three moments so far. Top three moments. Uh, dead mom screaming face. Seagull genocide desirability maths. And we'll... what, I will, what I will try to do is I will try to get the extracts of those and I'll put them after... The final credits. Nice. So people, because I do not have the time, nor energy, nor the inclination to do a best of year one super montage, because that would take forever. And I also don't legitimately think my laptop is powerful enough to do it. Um, anyway, um, if, if, if dear listeners have got through this first half an hour of um, introduction and maybe need a break, uh, is there any films that you could recommend them this oh, before, week? Before we do that, we should probably talk about what we're actually doing this week. Oh, we should do that as <laughs> we well. We should, yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> so, what we've decided to do, so like I said, we have made 300, oh, actually, before we get onto that, our best, our most downloaded League of Good Bad Movies episode, Yeah. Showgirls. Excellent. Which, a lot of time for. So, this week, what we're doing, so we have made 308 choices so far in this year of pod. So today we are going to... Year of pod! Year of pod! This week we are talking about the films we haven't chosen yet. Because some of my favourite films are films we haven't been able to crowbar into an episode. Yeah. And I'm interested to see which ones they are. Yes. Same. Which is why we're doing this. (laughs) Yes. Because, um, also, uh, happy Friday, because we're releasing this on a Friday for the first time oh, yeah, ever. yeah, good point. Uh, and uh, happy, happy uh, being married for 24 hours to my brother, because I would have been at his wedding yesterday. Oh, yeah. I hope that was fun. It was great. I am sure I am hungover to within an inch of my life. I would be disappointed if not. Tom doesn't listen to this, does he? No. Fuck you, Tom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and on that note... Yes. Do you have a movie recommendation this week that nobody has asked for? Yes, I do. So what I thought was, so we started this podcast a year ago. Mm. And to celebrate that, I thought I'd pick a film that really sums up the context behind why we did this. So I am obviously picking 2011's Contagion. (laughs) Which, if anything, what was a very realistic look at a severe bat-induced pandemic and its effect on the world. But it turns out it would have been even more accurate if they had a character who started a podcast because he was bored. <laughs> so if you if we were cast in Contagion, yep. setting up this podcast, who yep. would you want to play you? Who would I want to play me? I mean, do they do we have to have can I choose anyone or does there need to be some kind of likeness? John Wayne played Genghis Khan, so 
you know. So there has to be some kind of likeness. Yeah, there has to be some kind of likeness. <laughs> um, no, there doesn't have to be. Just who, who do you think would get the... It's, always, it's more about the energy. About the energy. Else. Who, who, who in Hollywood has my energy? Fuck me. Um, well, obviously, David, David, Johnny Knoxville loves a danger nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David Schwimmer's played divorce characters before. <laughs> I'm going to go with the obvious choice. That is Dave Batista. Nice. Because he should be in everything. Dave, 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 Dave Batista has played many things, but I don't think he's played Ginger. I know, but I think he'd nail it. No, no. It is about time. It is about time. With that in mind, if we're going for people who don't look anything like us but a hench, Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? He's got a beard. I've had long hair. It, yep. it works. We have tattoos. Okay, so if, if people you know, maybe don't want to be reminded about the pandemic, is there anything else that they might want to watch? And... Look, Ian, I know we've had this funny bit for a year. Um, surely, surely we're not going to keep doing it. Yeah, so, so because what, what, what we were thinking of was maybe, maybe we would do Midsummer for, for like a year and then maybe we'll change the recommendation each year. So what we're doing for this episode is it's a film starring a predominantly British cast, yep. a British and Irish, so it stars Will Poulter, Good actor. Um, so British actor, who I keep getting confused because he was attached to it for a long time. So I keep forgetting that he wasn't Pennywise. No, I mean, he's not a Skarsgård. He's not a Skarsgård, no, but he was attached to it for so long that I still make yeah. the connection. But he's been in a load of stuff and he's a very, very funny, but very, I think, underrated actor. Um, it also features Jack Rayner, who's, an, again, another Irish 20-somethings actor who's he was in Sing Street. Talking of films we've not had the opportunity to talk about, I fucking love Sing Street. I don't rem- I, I remember enjoying it, but I don't remember a lot of it kind of thing. So good. Love it. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, uh, they, there's a couple of other people in the film, but kind of those two really have scenes that stand out. Yeah. Um, and you could argue they're kind of part of the driving force of mm. the film. Um, so they play two American PhD students who travel with their friends um, and they travel to Sweden. To go to a commune during Midsummer. So, obviously, we're still re- recommending Ariaster's Midsummer because it's a fucking incredible film. Have you not watched it yet, people? I mean, come on. We're going to recommend this until some cinema lets us show it. And that then, is, the, epi- the episode literary. after that, we're going to make a big deal that we're allowed to host an episode on Midsummer. Yeah. And then we're going to keep recommending Midsummer. Yeah. We're going to recommend Midsummer until every single person alive has watched Midsummer. Every man, woman, and child. And our listener in Nepal. Yes. Looking at you, the Dalai Lama, who may or may not live in Nepal. So, so Graham, what is, what is the first on your list of films we haven't chosen yet? First on my list, Ian. Um, for this, and also, I'm not going to apologise for a 30-minute intro. It's a bumper birthday special. It's our birthday. We can do what the fuck we want. We'll, we'll cry if we want to. We'll cry. We'll hold each other. We will drink beer. On a Wednesday. In your kitchen. At quarter to eleven. In the evening. <laughs> like, yeah, that, to be fair, that is a very important, that is a very important piece when, of when, that. when we're making a joke about <laughs> drinking, you can't throw in quarter to eleven because they're going to assume this is a bumper breakfast birthday special. Oh, bumper breakfast birthday bumper, special. Bumper breakfast beery birthday special. Next Friday. Bumper breakfast beery birthday bonanza. Next Friday, uh, when the episode comes out, it's technically our birthday then. Fry up in a beer? 
Uh, yeah, I, I will. Yeah, again, Tom doesn't. My, my brother doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Fuck him. We'll drive home early. We'll miss all the post-wedding like brunchy bollocks, and we'll just come straight back here to drink in your kitchen. Or I crash the wedding brunch. So with a copy of Midsummer that you just throw at the couple. <laughs> copy of Midsummer that I throw at the couple, and obviously I'm Owen Wilson because I'm wedding brunch crashes. So my first choice. So this is a film I. So I think we had to specify this, right? It's not films that we've not spoken about because a lot of these, there's been tangential mentions of them, whether we've been talking about directors and or choices or like, oh, we nearly chose this, we nearly chose that. So this is a, a film that we haven't chosen specifically as a choice yet. Obviously, each episode, we each have our, our two top threes and then we make the combined top three. So it can't have featured in... Yeah. So, and this one hasn't. It's a film from 2011. It's, I think, is one of my favourite films. Um, it's definitely in my top five. It is a hell of a cast. A hell of a cast. Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Brian Cranston, uh, Oscar Isaacs, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman. It is directed by um, our favourite director, whose name we can't pronounce, Nicholas Winding Refn. He actually won Best Director at Cannes uh, for this. And the film is uh, 2011's Drive. Nice. So Drive is... Th- there's, a lot to, there's a lot to love about Drive. There is... Oscar Isaac. Ex- yeah. <laughs> Whose name? Do you remember his character's name? Oscar Isaac. Standard. Standard? Yeah. It- it's a movie that I think is like effortless- effortlessly cool. It's really well acted, and just to because you know we're we're a year of podding. Going to link it back to some of our other episodes. It could well have featured in our very first episode because it has an incredible fucking soundtrack, like this synth wave, like you could you could do Baby Driver and Drive. That would be yeah, that would be mental. I think they came out. Did they come out the same year? Did Baby Driver two thousand eleven as well, or was that two thousand twelve? Yeah, I think Baby Driver was later. But yeah. What like honestly, such good soundtrack. So the soundtrack was um mostly scored by Cliff Martinez. There's a few kind of like songs in there, and I think the ones that really kind of steal the show are so you've got Night Call by Kavinsky, and then A Real Hero by College. Yeah, and I think I think it's A Real Hero is playing where you just kind of he's driving through the streets of LA. It's dark. It's just it it feels. I, I have listened, because I'm a wanker, I've driven through LA listening to the Drive soundtrack. <laughs> but it is perfect driving music late oh, yeah. at night. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I, think there's, I think there's driving scenes to both of them. Because um, I definitely remember Nightcall. Yes, in you know, yeah. Scene. Nightcall, I think, is very early on. Yeah. But yeah, because it has the really cool thing where at the beginning scene with the like where they're letting out of the basketball game and he goes into the underground car park yeah. and that's how he kind of disguises yeah. everything but yeah it's just it's it's so cool i think one of the things i really 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 enjoyed about it although it was slightly damaged when i went and saw only god forgives was how well the movie uses silence so i thought because i hadn't i think it's probably the first i'm just going to refer to him as nwr because I don't want to keep mispronouncing his name. Nicky. Big old big old Nick. Uh big Nick. Big Dick Nick. 
I think is the first Big Dick Nick film I've seen. And I thought, oh, shit. I mean, this is really, like, the way he's done this is really cool. And actually, it turns out that um, Big Dick Nick and Ryan Gosling um, specifically took a lot of the driver's dialogue out of the movie to try and kind of, for part of the pacing, for, like, how they were presenting the character, etc. But then I saw Only God Forgives, and I think, I don't know if he did it in Only God Forgives as well because it worked so well in Drive, but he kind of leaned on that silence so thing. So he, he, it wasn't just Drive. Right. So the film he did before Drive was called... Weirdly, he went from Bronson, which is one of my favourite films in terms of how it's written. Yeah. Because it is incredibly witty dialogue. It's very dialogue heavy. It's narrated which is the opposite of silence. <laughs> yeah. So after Bronson, he did a film called Valhalla Rising with oh, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. And Mads Mikkelsen says something like, um, what I can do is I can just keep saying random things while I load it up on IMDb. But he says something like 80 words or something yeah, like well, that I, in the entire film. I mean, in this, Ryan Gosling has 116 lines. Here we go. There are approximately 120 lines of dialogue in the whole film. Yeah. Okay. So he'd... he'd He'd embraced this yeah. lack of dialogue thing kind of previously. Valhalla Rising is very good, but it's fucking weird. Yeah, I've not seen it. I've seen. I, I remember seeing clips of it. It's. I. I. I do want to see it, but I. It's Mads Mikkelsen, so it's worth a go. Yeah, but I think that was it. Like, it is done very well in Drive the Silence thing, but then seeing Only God Forgives afterwards kind of detracted a little bit from it. Yeah. That being said, I still think it's it's really well done. And actually, they there was uh, I was reading that there was an offset of like because they take away so much dialogue for the driver, they purposely made Brian Cranston's character Shannon like a motor mouth. Yeah. Uh, so he talks a lot very quickly, and it turns out that not only was that like that that wasn't scripted necessarily. They they just got Brian Cranston to improvise a lot of lines to balance them offset the, him and the driver yeah i mean the basic premise ryan gosling is uh is the driver he's a hollywood stunt driver he moonlights as a getaway driver in la he has this kind of strong relationship with carrie mulligan and her son who live in his apartment block um whilst her husband the aforementioned oscar isaac is in prison uh he gets out like they kind of have a mutual understanding like you know you clearly fancy my girlfriend slash wife but also you've been looking after her and the kid, so I respect you, but also I need to um, pull off this bank heist because I've got a lot of money that I owe people, so he gets involved in that because he knows he's a driver. Anyway, Oscar Isaac gets killed, Christian Hendricks gets killed, the driver goes on like this kind of weird revenge arc thing. It's it's just great. It's As I said, it's effortlessly cool. The car chases are great. Ryan Gosling's jacket is phenomenal. The music, you know, this pure 80s synth. Like, I don't think there's any neon in the movie, but I think because of the synth, I see neon. Yeah, that's a fair <laughs> point. All, all I can remember of the film is that it was horrifically marketed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're not wrong. It was, it was a, it was a, like, for all the critical acclaim it had, as I say, one best director at Cannes, like, it did not do well commercially at all. Which is all the adverts made it look like it was Fast and Furious. Mm. And it's not. For a film called Drive, there's not that much driving in it. No, it's it's a real kind of slow burning crime thriller, really. I guess so. It's based on a book, so I've read the book and I've read the sequel to the book as well. So there's Drive and Driven, I think the sequel's called, 
And actually, I'd say the sequel is probably better than than the original. But I think because of what we're saying in terms of like commercial excess, I doubt it's ever going to see the light of day as a movie, which is a real shame. And I think one of the other reasons that you mentioned the marketing, I think also like obviously the 18 rating or R rating in the US doesn't help because of all the violence. Talking of the violence, there are some really sort of incredibly graphic scenes. So you mentioned the elevator scene. And I think that one of the things that I think is really well played with that is how it goes from, because it is quite slow burning, right? And it's just, and because there's been lots of silence, lots of kind of tension building, building, and then it just explodes into yeah. that scene it makes it makes violence seem more violent yeah yeah even though there's films where there's a lot more violence it just i don't know it, you know one of a better word kicks you in the face well and it's <laughs> nice but it's also similar to um what we said about midsummer where they don't a lot of the time violence like that would be like movie violence yeah so it would all happen very very quickly and then you're done it doesn't it keeps happening, and you keep lingering on it, yeah. and you, it won't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great. So, a few interesting things about it. Apparently, do you know who was originally meant to play the driver? Uh, do you want me to pretend I don't? Yes. Uh, no. Hugh Jackman. To be fair, it definitely would have taken his career in a bit of a different trajectory, but I yeah. think he could have done that really well. It, it would be interesting. I think he might be too imposing. Yeah, because I think that's that's part of the the Ryan. Because I think with Ryan Gosling, he's, I guess it's more the, he becomes a bit more, violent. He becomes a bit more um, driven, for want of a better word, Oy. because of his motivations. Not necessarily that he is a violent person at heart. Yeah. Whereas you're right, Hugh Jackman's. You know, I mean, he's Wolverine. Well, he's not just Wolverine. He is a character. He is an actor who is categorically too tall to play Wolverine. Yeah. Like, he's a big... Because I think, yeah, Wolverine in the comics is supposed to be like 5'3". Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the role did go to Ryan Gosling, and in um, preparing for the role, he actually restored the uh, the 73 Chevy Malibu that he drives throughout the film. I really I really wish British roads were suitable for cars like that. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm sure the M4 would love it. That's a joke for our English and Welsh listeners there. Yeah. Nice little, just bomb it down from fucking Chiswick to Carmarthen. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it always, it, it, I find it fascinating driving in the US because, like, even like in the big cities, like, the roads are still massive and everyone is driving like a fucking pickup truck or a. But it's, it's not just that. It's in driving, again, which is why I really want to drive coast to coast. Not necessarily Route 66. Yeah. But coast to coast. Because, like, if you drive coast to coast here, like, say you start off in fucking... Which I, I've, I've kind of done it um, when we had to drive from Carmarthen to uh, North, like Norfolk. Norfolk. Yeah, Norfolk. It's all the same. Yeah. Sure. A couple <laughs> of, like, open-faced mines or quarries on the way. Yeah. But that's it. Like, the, the, the scene, scenery's the same. Like, American roads make me understand motorbikes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't get motorbikes here at all. But in America, when you see, like, the... Because you could, in the same day, you could go through plains, mountains, automobiles. But yeah, you get what I mean. Like, there's so many different, like, yeah, so I mean, much to see. I, I've, I, I did the drive from um, Vegas to LA, and you see it, like, and even, I'd say that's a short drive, it's like four and a half, five hours, but yeah. you still see a lot, most, mostly desert. 
but you still see a lot of like cool one, one, one place i want to drive to in america is there is a town i used to know the exact distance just outside of a place called mexican hat right um which is utah i think um and it's where forrest gump stops running oh nice <laughs> so i can only imagine there's it's completely dead around there apart from like a queue of people waiting to take photos yeah, I'd love a, I'd love a seventies muscle car, but they're pointless over here. Yeah, although I I am very closely leaning towards buying a Mustang, the ones that start the house, just yes. because. Did I ever tell you the story about me and a very particular American car? Uh, I don't think so. We we had to do some really wanky like sales training at work. Yeah. So we we had to write down our favorite food. Yeah. Dream car. Right. And a load of other random things. And the whole point was, not everybody wants the same thing. Yeah. And then we went through each person's card and they had to guess who it was. And my favourite car was a 1967 Chevy Impala. Yep. And somebody in the room, this uh, uh, Irish colleague, she put her hand up and said, that's Ian. And it was like, okay, that's impressive. How yeah. do you know that? And afterwards, she said, no, it's definitely you. Because, like... Because you're a very specific cunt. <laughs> so what do you mean? It's like, well, you're not just going to say you're not just going to say a Chevy Impala. You're going to go a 1967 Chevy Impala. You're a very specific cunt. It's like I can appreciate that. But it's uh, the car from Supernatural. Okay, and it's so fucking nice. You need that on a t-shirt, by the way. Very specific cunt. Yeah, yeah. I might get on business cards. <laughs> But yeah, look, there's there's not. I I just think it's it's such a cool movie. It's I enjoy it so much. I've seen it a, a few, you know good amount of times. Soundtrack I've listened to tons, and yeah, Drive is just. I think I think it's one of those like underrated gems. Well. I don't think a lot of people have necessarily seen it. Probably like you were saying because of the, the poor marketing. But what a film. <laughs> In a book on Hollywood in 2007, David Mamet said there were only four perfect movies. Right. The Godfather, mm. A Place in the Sun, Dodsworth, and my choice, Galaxy Quest. Nice. So, Galaxy Quest is a film from 1989. It was directed by Dean Parasot, and it was very nearly Harold Ramis. Okay. Harold Ramis left because... The people he wanted to appear in the film wouldn't appear in the film, and they got Tim Allen instead. Tim Allen, who, fun fact, I've written in capital letters, Tim Allen is not Tim Robbins, because I always say Tim Robbins instead of Tim Allen. Tim, um, Tim Robbins could never do tall No, but he was also apparently in the running for Galaxy Quest. Okay, yeah. interesting. So, Galaxy Quest, so the plot is simple. So, the cast of an old 1980s space adventure show called Galaxy Quest are doing the comic book circuit after their show got cancelled. They're abducted by a group of aliens called the Thermians to help them fight back against the evil General Saris, who is demanding <laughs> they turn over the Omega-13. Turns out the Thermians believe the episodes of Galaxy Quest to be historical documents and have modelled their entire culture and society on them, built the actual ship from Galaxy Quest, and believe the cast to be the actual crew who have gone through all of these adventures. Nice. You've watched Galaxy Quest? I haven't seen it, no. Oh, we're going we're gonna to watch it within the week. Okay. So the ship is called the NSEA Protector, and 
it's got a little nice little uh like serial number on the side which is the nte3120 do you know what nte stands for no the designers behind galaxy quest were worried they would get sued by star trek mm. so now they can point to the ship and say look no it is not the enterprise that's what we've got it written on the ship excellent so <laughs> nte stands for not the enterprise it's often called a parody and i think that's really unfair so to call it a parody it, it, it is not it's not even really about star trek or the the show within a show that is galaxy quest it's about the impact that tv shows like that have on people's lives and it's a complete love letter to fans and nerds and everybody who has ever loved a tv show or felt that a film was speaking directly to them and i think a lot of people who watched it felt like i think the big bang theory does it to an extent where being a nerd is often the punchline to the joke mm -hmm. and you always have like the nerdy character and you always have the the geek and the one who's into the sci-fi and all of that stuff but this film would just it's not taking the piss out of it it is embracing kind of just that whole lifestyle and what people like to do i feel like it sounds like it could be a quite a good double bill with fanboys yes it, it shares a lot of shared blood with fanboys apart from the fact galaxy quest is about actual aliens <laughs> fanboys so fanboys is uh set just before phantom menace comes out yeah and it is about three friends four, four. three friends and Kristen bell three no um no, four friends and Kristen Bell. Four friends and Kristen Bell yeah. who travel across country to break into George Lucas's ranch to steal an early copy of Phantom Menace. So their dying friend can see it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great, to be fair. It, it, but Galaxy Quest is legitimately one of my favourite films. And I say that a lot on this podcast. But it is. I, I, I think it's, it's incredible. And it, it, it's very, very funny. And it also does the switch between... Like, some of the dramatic and action scenes in it are just flat-out heartbreaking. But it juxtaposes it between that and comedy so well that it never seems like you're being... Sometimes when some when a lesser film does it, it feels jarring. Yeah. Being thrown between kind of the two extremes. But Galaxy Quest does it really well. So the cast are incredible as well. So, like I said, Tim Allen is in it. There's a character called uh, Gwen DeMarco who plays Lieutenant Tawny Madison in the TV show. And that's Sigourney Weaver. So I think if anyone's going to appreciate fan culture around sci-fi, it's going to be Ellen Ripley from fucking Alien. Yeah. Um, I don't remember her fucking the Alien, actually. Different film. <laughs> uh, Alexander Dane, who plays the character Dr. Lazarus, is Alan Rickman. And this was at a time where everybody knew Alan Rickman as a very, very serious actor. Yeah. So for him to do a comedy was kind of a big deal. Uh, but yeah, so Alexander Dane is obviously the leonard nimoy character um so he plays an alien who has like a headpiece um and he both hates but seems to secretly love the fact he played this character right um and he's legitimately very funny and he's got the the line from galaxy quest which is by crap files hammer you will be avenged you sam rockwell is in there as a guy called guy fleegman who famously in galaxy quest played crewman number six <laughs> 
Oh, God, he's just... The, the, the cast is just full of, like, incredible people. Yeah. And even in the background, like, it was Rain Wilson's first ever movie. Okay. It was Justin Long's first ever movie. And then Justin Long went on to make everything else. Everything else, <laughs> yeah. He, he's... To, to, we haven't mentioned him in the same breath as Donald Gleeson and Bill Nye, but I think he is up there. Yeah, he's, he's early 2000s Bill Nye. Which, which is a weird thing to say. So... I watched a documentary on Galaxy Quest today in preparation for this. Yeah. And it's called Never Surrender. And it's just them talking about the making of the film and how much everyone loves it and how much it just seems to be speaking to people. So one of the reasons they think they got it made was uh, a great thing to happen to a relatively low-budget film is the studio also be developing an even bigger budget film where shit is going wrong. Right. So while Galaxy Quest was being made, so was Gladiator. Oh, interesting. And famously, during the recording of Gladiator, Oliver Reed died. Right. So the studio was so focused on, shit, what are we going to do now? That sounds like the studio murdered Oliver Reed. That's not what happened. But they were so kind of you know caught up with what was happening with Gladiator, it kind of gave Galaxy Quest a bit of like unsupervised wiggle room. Yeah, to turn Galaxy Quest into what it is. Ga- Galaxy Quest had a substitute teacher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So they, they, they made this film that had a lot of swearing. There was a very famous scene where Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen's character are running down a corridor to try and turn off this self-destruct system. And they round a corner and there's loads of like... You know in every 60s, 70s sci-fi film you had a corridor full of like presses and things that are like going up and down and stuff like that and they come across a load of those because they had to be in the ship because they were in the tv show and when sigourney weaver turns the corner her line is well fuck this and they overdub it really badly with screw this right but you can clearly see her mouthing the word fuck excellent and the reason they cut out all of the swearing is that the Rugrats movie came out and it made all of the money. So the studio looked at that and then looked at Galaxy Quest and was like, oh, I think we could market this at like 12 year olds. Okay. So they basically told them you, it has to have a G rating. Yeah. So they toned back some of the, the swearing. But they made a really interesting point on like, the, the Never Surrender documentary that Sigourney Weaver saying fuck doesn't necessarily add enough to the film to detract from just not having it there. So yeah. the fact that it doesn't have swearing means it is literally a film for everyone. Like it doesn't detract from the drama of the drama scenes. It doesn't detract from how funny the funny scenes are. But it now just means that someone in their 60s or 70s who would appreciate it for one reason can watch it with someone who's fucking eight who would find it funny for their own reasons. Yeah. And it, it, it's... So, like, the, the Pixar effect, almost. Yeah, yeah, basically. Like, it is definitely a film that works on a load of levels because the galaxy... The, the show within a show is pitch perfect. Yeah. For, like, cheap 80s sci-fi. So you have that. You have the character development of the actual actors themselves. The last part of the film is basically an action... A sci-fi action set piece... And then on top of that, you've got its complete embracing of like nerd culture and fandom and things like that. And again, not done in a insulting or derogatory way. It is embracing it for what it is, which is 
just people loving a TV show. Yeah. And I, I don't think enough... Again, I, I, I strongly believe Big Bang Theory did it terribly. Everybody has loved a TV show far more than they should have. And they do make, especially for, not for everyone, but for people like us, I was definitely made by the things that I watched and listened to. Yeah, I, I, think, I think most people are to a, to a degree. Um, even if it's not the same kind of thing. And actually, funny enough, I think the, the whole, like, really loving a TV show too much kind of definitely falls into the sci-fi arena, right? Like, Firefly's the perfect example. That, that, that was exactly the, 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 the thing I would go to. Yeah. I've, I've watched... I, I will regularly re-watch the entire box set apart from the last episode. I think we might have talked about this before. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, li- I don't like finishing it. I have watched the last episode, but you always feel a bit... At least we Weird. got Serenity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be that would definitely be my answer to if if I had to pick something like this to actually be real. Oh, what would but, it be? without a doubt, it's Firefly. Firefly because or... you, also you've got Nathan Fillion would be perfect for Firefly and the Galaxy Quest version of Firefly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, Alan Tudyk. But there, there's a great. Uh, so again, <laughs> on on Never Surrender, they get a couple of the. So Brett Spinner. Spiner, the guy who plays Data. Okay, yeah. Um, and he gives a great interview on the Never Surrender documentary where he's basically saying, like, why didn't we do this? Yeah, yeah. Like, you could have done it with all of the Star Trek actors. Yeah. Um, which they kind of did on a Futurama episode where all of the original saga's heads get kidnapped by an alien and have to act through his fan fiction. Nice. But... um. The guy who plays Data was basically just saying, like, oh, we could have, like, his view of watching it was, why why didn't we do this? This was perfect. Yeah. And the vast majority of people, like, Will Wheaton's only disagreement with it is that he wasn't in it because he really wanted to play a fanboy who was shouting at an actor who was a kid for why is there a kid on a spaceship? Yeah. Patrick Stewart had nothing but good... Th- I think Patrick Stewart didn't like the idea because he assumed it would be a piss take. Right. And then... um. Jonathan Frakes told him to go to... Uh, go to hell, man. Yeah. Told him to get his Earl Grey tea and go to uh, a late night screening. And then I think he realised it was what it was. It is, it is a love letter to the people who've kept Patrick Stewart in a job yeah. for 30, 40 years. But it, it's just... it's Like I said, it's one of my favourite films. There's been a number of kind of long-mooted plans for a sequel or a TV show. Obviously, Alan Rickman dying put a spanner in the works for that a little bit. But in 2017, Paul Shear was apparently set on the task of writing a show for Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, that seems to have now fallen <coughs> through. And it's Georgina Pritchett, who I think works on Succession. Yeah. And Simon Pegg are apparently working on... Okay. Uh, a follow-up to it, but that's all the information out there. The most is. recent thing I've seen Paul Shear do was be chased around a wrestling ring with someone with a knife on some, like, amateur wrestling event, like, last week. As you do. Which was a thing. Paul Shear is definitely one of those people who I don't realise how respected he is in the industry. Yeah. As a writer, specifically. Oh, but also because I just see him as Andre from the league. Yeah, but it turns out that people, he will get bought in by studios. He's basically a script doctor. Mm. Same with uh, another... I told the script doctor <laughs> I was in love with you. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Carrie Fisher as well. 
was a very respected yeah. script doctor. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if it's the kind of show where I want them to just leave it alone, or if uh, I, I'm not against follow-ups as long as there is a a reason to it beyond money. Let's make more money. Yeah. Like if you legitimately think there is another story to tell, definitely given the the context of what Galaxy Quest kind of stands for yeah. and things like that, I I would completely agree with it unless it is just let's make money but so fucking funny it's i don't know it it, it does it i i think as a generation we are a generation removed from people who are bullied for being nerdy yeah i would agree um <coughs> or least... actually i think we similar we are the generation that lived both pre and post internet yeah i think we're also the generation that lived Pre and post being bullied for being nerdy. Yeah, so like up to, up to like midway through secondary school. Yeah, I definitely felt like I was kind of a bit of a out, not outcast, but outsider to stuff. Yeah, because everybody I knew was really into football, and that just seemed to be it. And it was like, well, I'm not into football, so does that mean I don't fit in with anyone at all? And then I kind of discovered my crowd just as the internet was a thing, and then you realise, oh shit, loads of people are into what I'm into. It's just that I only really knew 10 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And look, Ian, Ian it's fine. I, you're a furry. There are other furries out there. Like, And I'm just glad the internet helped you find your people. God, yeah, but it's really driven my dry cleaning bills up. <laughs> the stains I've got to get out of that badger costume now. But yeah. Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. So we're def- definitely a generation removed from feeling like an outsider for that. Yeah. But it, it's still just really... It really speaks to you that it is okay to be in love with a TV show. And I got a lot of time for that. What's up next for you on our uh, bumper birthday, beery breakfast bonanza? Bumper birthday, beery breakfast bonanza. Number two is one of the films, along with Desperado and Midsummer, that I would say is the foundation of our friendship. It is. Described on Wikipedia as an action splatter movie, which is genre, which is a genre I did not know existed, or know that I loved. Um, <laughs> this movie is 2008's Tokyo Gore Police. Before we go into detail on one of the best Japanese movies ever made, uh, what else comes up under action splatter movie? Oh, I don't know. Let's have a let's let's have a Google. <laughs> So that's the that's the new podcast catchphrase for year two. Oh, let's have a Google. That sounded more like a Paddy McGuinness uh, TV show. Absolutely, is a Paddy McGuinness TV. Let's show. have a Google. Action splatter movies include Machete, Hobo with a Shotgun, Battle Royale, Rambo, Starship Troopers, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead Two, The Thing, Gremlins, Wishmaster, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Basically, a lot of stuff. Planet Terror, I Spit on Your Grave, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. All of, all of that stuff. All of that stuff. It follows with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it's... Um, <coughs> so I haven't... We watched this, I think... It must have been about 2009, I want to say. The last time I watched this was with you in your like box room. In my box room, on... Do you remember? My tiny little yellow... It was yellow, a combo TV, wasn't it? Tiny little yellow combo CRT TV. 
like it might it can't have been more than yay big which is what like i don't know Graham, you do, you, we've been doing a podcast for a year and you're still doing hand gestures well i'm trying <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get your i'm trying to I'm, I, I want your your measurement are we standard i think that's that is that is correct it looked like a comically small cartoon tv yeah so i have watched it since then so i had to remind myself of the plot summary a little bit so um the film is set in near future chaotic japan a mad scientist known as the key man because he puts key-shaped tumors into people um has created a virus that mutates humans into monstrous monstrous creatures called engineers that spout bizarre weaponry from any injury the tokyo police force has been privatized to deal with this new threat of engineers so a special squad of officers called the engineer hunters are created to deal with them however unlike the average police force the engineer hunters are a private quasi-military force that utilize violence sadism and street side executions to maintain law and order it is batshit insane i i don't think it is i don't think i can overestimate how i I think we've spoken about like i know it's not been a choice on the podcast before we've spoken about the podcast before there is a there is a moment where someone's legs get hacked off and they regrow as an alligator Yep, there's a there's a cock cannon. There is. There's a cock cannon. There are acid spewing breasts. It is Yeah, it's it's wild. So it ends up being sort of like following this kind of all out war between the police and the engineers, and then there's this kind of tale of revenge where the key man's motives are revealed and actually maybe the crazy key tumor guy has a point. But yeah, it's it is all out balls to the wall over the top violence action fun it's absolutely unapologetic in its approach to gore to the point that they just thought fuck it we'll throw gore into the title yeah. it's just this... calling this tokyo police doesn't <laughs> doesn't have the ring to it i yeah. want what, what do we what do we need to what about add? what about gore tokyo police <laughs> no no that's still not it it is it is a bizarre film but it is it's and I think I've spoken about this before. Like the uniqueness of this film, I like I I love a a film that is just its own thing. It's kind of you know I don't think you could like I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's an easy obvious double bill with Tokyo Gore Police. There are, but they're all directed by either the same guy or yeah, like that was it like Machine Meat- Girl, Machine Girl, yeah. Meatball something as well. I just think it's kind of. It's kind of impossible to not have fun watching this. Like it, it, it is nuts. I I was also trying to like so with a lot of these, I've tried to like maybe dig into a little bit like the trivia behind the movie, see what people. There's not a lot about it. I don't know. I don't know anyone other than you that's seen it. I don't know anyone other than you who knows the film. <laughs> apart, apart from my dad. <laughs> I have a feeling, and I'm not 100% sure, so I used to go, when I was at um, university, I used to buy Empire every month, and there was a section in Empire where they ran through like lots of movies that were coming out, they're like more obscure movies that were coming out this month. I think it was, it was it, what's the guy, is it Kim? Oh shit, Kim... I just wanted to Kim see. Newman. Newman, yeah. Kim Newman's video dungeon, right, was in was like a section. It was all of the kind of like video nasties, straight to DVD horror stuff. 
And I'm fairly sure I discovered Tokyo Gore Police because I read about it in this section of Empire and was like, okay, this sounds insane. I need to see it. So I remember buying the DVD. I still have it on DVD. So at some point we should rewatch it. I this. also have it on DVD. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, that seems such like that was only, I mean, we're talking, this came out in 2008. I think we probably watched it 2008, 2009. It seems like such a long time ago that the way I would find out about a film is reading a snippet about it in a magazine. Like, that wouldn't happen anymore. So, I don't think it was Empire. I think it was Jonathan Ross. Oh, really? Because I'm sure Jonathan Ross did a special on Japanese films around that time. And it was just a load of really weird shit, like the Calamari Wrestler and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm sure it was something might have guided us from there. Okay, but it, it's definitely if it's not him, it is a hundred percent Kim Newman. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain, but it may well have appeared on on the on Jonathan Ross's. Uh, oh, okay, the cat's attacking my feet. Ow. Um, but yeah, so I, I did try and as I said, tried to look up trivia on this movie. I tried to look up reviews. Uh, turns out no one has really. Re- well, the the New York Times reviewed it, but they didn't really. It was like a couple yeah. of. Couple of paragraphs. This is a film. This is a film. It's crazy. Um, if you like alligator legs, then boy, have we got the film for you. So literally, the only thing I could see on uh, IMDb was that it was shot and completed in the space of two weeks, which is quite impressive. But actually, despite being nuts and despite being so over the top, there is like this whole interesting and interesting take on like social commentary on like how. It, there's a lots of talks of like the efficiencies of privatization obviously with like privatizing the police and everything there's also <laughs> adverts for like suicide products and stuff yeah. as well so despite you know if on on the surface yes it is just a all out nuts balls to the wall gore fest there is like this kind of interesting subtext to it i'm not going to pretend like it's you know it's uh, a a real kind of groundbreaking social commentary but it is interesting that it still it it still is able to bring in these elements to a film that is just mental from start to finish i really need to watch it again um i think i think we need to uh, maybe we need to do maybe we need a we'll take a day we need to watch police galaxy quest double bill well either that or we also need to think about doing the Super Fun Times Friendship Triple Bill of Desperado, Tokyo War Police, and Midsummer. Jesus Christ, that was a long day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we can figure that out. <laughs> I say long day as if we aren't going to a Nicolas Cage marathon next week. It's true. A marathon of films, not Nicolas Cage running a marathon. I, but... couldn't, I couldn't run a marathon. As we know, because I've just laughed off a half marathon I signed up for. So... A year and a bit ago, I signed up for a half marathon that got postponed, and I was really happy, but they sent me an email in a really annoying tone of like, luckily, we've rolled your uh, entry over. <laughs> oh, cool, I'll take that, I'll take the refund. But uh, that is now in October, and it is not happening. Well, you've got your number and everything. I got my number. I um, also have the complete inability to run more than uh, the distance from the offline, offside line in rugby. To the nearest person. And if I hit them hard enough, the game stops. <laughs> I reckon 
no actually i don't i was gonna say i reckon maybe you could do it but i don't and i don't want i don't want that on my conscience no i i legitimately couldn't and i couldn't do it in a because i have done one before i wouldn't want to do it unless i prepped to at least be yeah, yeah. competitive to that. maybe here's a thought pin the number to the dog it could work he'd bowie could run a half marathon probably I mean, he'd 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 fuck some shit up on the way. He'd probably get get me banned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd never be able to go in the Royal Parks again. But uh, you might get a fair half decent time. Anyway, Tokyo Gore. Tokyo police. Gore Police. Awesome film. Nuts over the top. As I say, more people need to see it because it's yeah. You know, if if you like this kind of stuff, um, which I'm assuming you've got at least a vague interest if you're listening to us talk about it week in week out. Give it a watch. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily on any uh, streaming platforms or anything at the moment. So you might have to grab a. It definitely uh, comes across as the film you couldn't even get on Amazon. Yeah, you kind of need. You probably have to buy the DVD, but it's worth it. So yeah, take a go, please. Do it. So uh, I'm going to be honest to you guys. You may want to skip forward 15 minutes on this one because we have reached. The obvious opportunity for me to say, I have a history degree. So we are... Come back, come back, Graham. Come back. It's okay. It's okay. Calm. Calm. So it's an, it's an opportunity for me to talk about... An Sorry, area. I'm just, I'm just going to... It's it's quarter to midnight. I'm going to have another danger nap. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm... Obviously, it gives me an opportunity to talk about an area of history I'm interested in, but also talk about a film, which I think is... A masterpiece that not a lot of people even know exists. A so, master and commander piece. I, I am talking about Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, the 2003 film. So it is set in 1805 and is about Jack Aubrey, uh, played by Russell Crowe, who's the captain of the HMS Surprise, who is set to confront the Acheron off the coast of Brazil, where it is basically fucking up British whaling ships. And the entire film is basically just a duel between these two captains across oceans. Fun fact, it was originally supposed to be set in 1812, because the book, The Far Side of the World, which it's based on, is set in 1812, and the surprise is sent after an American ship. Right. But they set it in 1805, so it could be a French ship. The reason they made that change is they didn't think Americans would back a film where they were the enemy. (laughs) Because they didn't think they would support the good guy, they would root for the bad guy. I mean, they like Platoon. Nice. And I don't even have a history degree. So Master and Commander won, it won two Oscars, um, so for cinematography and sound editing. It is bordering on, I think, the most perfectly cast film ever. Because say what you want about Russell Crowe, he is perfect as the Jack Aubrey character. Paul Bettany plays uh, Stephen... Jarvis. Jarvis, the AI on the HMS uh, Surprise. So, Paul Bettany plays Stephen uh, Marturin, who is the ship's surgeon slash, like, spy master. And they're just perfect. And everyone in the film is great. The cinematography, obviously, because it won an Oscar, is incredible. The script is insane. It's overwhelmingly historically accurate. It's one of the quickest, and this sounds like a stupid thing to say, but you'll get what I mean, but you'll pretend you don't for comic effect. It's one of the quickest two-hour-plus films I've ever seen. 
so it doesn't it's two two hours 20 maybe yeah but it doesn't feel like it because they it draws you in so much with what it's trying to do that it doesn't feel like a long film it kind of earns it being that long so it's like the opposite to you talking about you having a history degree which feels like a two hour plus exactly it's the opposite for what this section is going to be (laughs) wait wait until we get to the next bit it was directed by peter weir who directed gallipoli dead poet society and the truman show it's based on a series of books by a guy called peter o'brien there are 20 novel series charting uh, Jack Aubrey and Stephen Martin's relationship through decades, basically. So it's um, Jack Aubrey going from like a midshipman all the way up to Admiral. Um, it's 20 books. They are heavy as fuck. I really enjoy them, but you, they're, a, they're a chore in places because it goes really in depth on how daily ship life works and things like that. I also always preferred uh, Steve Martin and uh, Father Brian. I'd watch that. Just Napoleonic era Steve Martin films. Yeah. No. Cheap by the dozen. Well, there's unfortunately there's no planes, trains, or automobiles, no. so we're uh, we're a bit fucked there. That's <laughs> Steve Martin in boats, boats and boats, <laughs> <laughs> boats, boats and horses. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it is honestly a completely overlooked masterpiece. I, I think it is bordering on. It's one of the best historical fiction films ever made, and. The only thing people say about it is, well, it's Gladiator at Sea. Yeah. And it's not. It's Master and Commander. <laughs> it's, it is the first film in what should have been a really cool series, but they just didn't seem to have the... It didn't make enough enough money at the time to warrant it. Didn't, didn't really make waves. No, no. Unfortunately, it didn't. Um, there were... I can't think of another Navy pun. Damn. Uh, maybe if they'd... Uh, Reduced, reduced the ticket prices. Maybe had a bit of a sale. Nice. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really ran my colours up the mast on that one. Something about the village people. Something about starboard. Uh, so they are. They have announced they're doing a prequel. Okay. Which could be very interesting. I have no idea who I would want to cast in it. I would preferably, if I, if I, for some reason, had the choice in it, I would want the prequel to be like an Amazon series. Okay. Along the lines of... Again, I was very close to picking a TV series for this because I haven't picked Black Sails yet. Black, I knew you were going to say Black yeah. Sails. Because Black Sails is incredible. Because I am obscenely interested in the Age of Sail. Listener, this is boring as he sounds. Yes, this is where, this is where you can skip through, forward. I'd say, give me, give me 10 minutes. Uh, so the HMS surprise oh, I is, wish I could skip is a sixth rate. Graham, are you, are you listening? Is a is a sixth rate ship of the line. So it's You're a, a sixth ship of the line. It's a small frigate, right? So her gun You're deck. A small frigate. It's just got the one gun deck. You've just uh, got one gun deck. Twenty-two nine-pounder long guns on it, and on the top uh, top deck, there's six more, including multiple cannonades. I wish I had serious decks guns right now, pointed at my face, put me out of my misery. Crewed by 197 men. <laughs> You've been crewed by 197 men. Well, there I have. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that, the HMS Surprise, is a, it's, a, it's a small ship, and the whole point is that the Acheron is twice its size, twice the guns, twice the men. It's faster, its hull is thicker, and it, it's entirely based on the USS Constitution, which is a very famous American ship. And that is where the phrase, the USS Constitution is actually the oldest continuous service naval vessel 
Um, so it never got taken out of service after um, it was introduced. It's currently in Boston, and it is at the end of the... Did you ever do the Freedom Trail? Oh, shit, I've seen this boat. Yeah. Don't give a shit, but I've seen yeah. it. No, no, so the Freedom Trail, which is an actual row of fucking bricks on the floor. Yeah, it, well, to be fair, one of the best self-guided city tours yeah. available. It's so it, good. It takes you through all of the War of Independence stuff, and it ends yeah. at the US Constitution, which was called Old Ironside. And the reason it's called Old Ironside is that British cannons would basically just awkwardly bounce off the hull. And some sailor said, it's like, oh, it's like our sides are made of iron. Mm. Sorry, what was that, Graham? Did you just ask why cannons bounced off of it? No. Good question. It's because uh, a lot of British ships were made out of just white oak, which was a readily, readily available wood. But... No, it was, it was a whitely available wood. Nice. But uh, American ships would also factor in live oak, which is an extremely resistance to moisture wood, which is only really found in, uh, it's only indigenous to the US, um, particularly kind of like coastal and the southern states. So what they would do is they would put that in between uh, white oak and the cannonball would just bounce off it. While with the British ships, the cannon would just go straight through the white oak into the ship. And the vast majority of naval casualties during the napoleonic era obviously came from splinters that were coming from so it wasn't the actual cannon hitting you it was the cannon going through the wood and the splinters splinting as the rat from teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah so um, and once they hit it and the rat came out he would just yeah. come through the shit out of everyone on the boat okay and it would get really awkward and then april o'neill turns up and then we have something more interesting than talking about fucking types of wood yeah but <laughs> A lo- yeah, a, a lot of the injuries were from splinters, which is quite... I, I, I think people always think it's cannon. But even even cannon in uh, actual kind of battles were, weren't often the actual cause of death. So even if a cannon went past you, uh, if you were in the, not, not necessarily at sea, because the cannons would be smaller, but in actual standing artillery, if a cannonball went past you, oh, the change in pressure would liquidize your organs. I, w- you I wish there was a skip button for life. Right? You think this is bad? <laughs> I've got another seven minutes. So, do you really... This is, this is kind of interesting. The character of Jack Aubrey was based on an actual sailor. Okay. So, a guy called Thomas Cochran, who was also the basis for Hornblower. Right. And just was a badass. And um, he was one of the finest sailors the Royal Navy had ever seen. And <laughs> he basically pissed off everybody who worked at the same level as him and above him. So he ended up being assigned like a 14-gun ship, the HMS Speedy. Nice. And he used that to just make a complete nuisance in the Mediterranean and fucked up a lot of Spanish and a lot of French ships. A lot of French ships? French, French ships. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I the thought, best, I thought the he was best burning kind of French bridges. Yeah. So one of these was entirely ripped off in Master and Commander. Hmm. Um, so he was being chased by, chased by the ship at night, and they basically set up a fake. They turn, turn the lights off. They um, remove all the lanterns from the ship and place one basically on a bucket that's just floating there. Then the other ship thinks that's the ship, so follows it, and they fuck off. So he did a load of things that were just entirely ripped off from by Master and Commander and Hornblower. He also captured a ship called the El Gamo, which was a Spanish ship, and he would regularly disguise his ship as another. So he would fly like an American flag, get really close, so close to it, the other ship couldn't aim at him, and then just, aha, and then fly the British ship flag and just keep shooting at them and then jump on them and be all, all wacky and shit. I feel like I'm losing you, Graham. Oh, you lost me a while ago. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> so the reason 
the British Navy was so good, which is also highlighted in Master and Commander, is it, it's not even necessarily the, the seamanship of the, uh, mm-hmm. the officers um, or the captains. It was the gun crews themselves. So the British ships were able to, under basically any circumstances, shoot a volley every 90 seconds. And French ships and everything like that couldn't keep up with that. So it was basically just shooting cannons regardless of how many people around you were dead. So they would have to put down sawdust so you could keep your grip on the floor with how much blood there would be. Which is a bit crazy. And these ships obviously had, uh, they were kind of striped down the side. Um, But after a battle, it would be more checkboard because all the blood would pour out of the gun ports down the the side. Mm. Um, Not going to lie. Glad we hadn't mentioned this film before. Yeah, yeah, it's um so you just say what a ship of the line is, given the HMS is a sixth rate ship of the line. Glad you said that. So the ship of the line comes from the naval tactic known as the line of battle. So basically the the way naval battles would work is you would just have one line of ships going past another line of ships, and it was whoever could shoot the most. And that basically meant that they started developing ships that were bigger and heavier and more powerful because the bigger and heavier and more powerful your ship is, the more damage you could do, but the less damage you'd necessarily take. So that's obviously where we get your first rate ship of the line is going to be your 120 gun over three decks, usually around uh, 850 people manning those, about 2,000 plus tons. Second rate is between 90 and 98 guns over three decks, 2,000 tons, crews are around... The problem there I'm is quite the, happy uh, that the, after... the problem there is that the reputation is quite poor handling, but the payoff's not quite there for the guns. Obviously, the after a the year, third rate is a uh, after a year. Deck, we but... finally got to the podcast nobody fucking <laughs> asked for. So those are two deck, but with sixty-four to eighty guns, uh, most numerously seventy-four, and that's kind of the ideal split between maneuverability and the firepower. Fourth rate's 50 to 60 guns. Just, fifth rate just, is less than just that. Just text me when you're done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. While searching our family tree, we, uh, well, Graham has actually walked away. <laughs> while, uh, while researching our family tree, Graham, 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 Graham. Yeah. Come back, come on. Nearly done. Nearly done. We're okay. We're all right. I'll stop now, but I find this stuff so, the whole, I don't know why. But I just find naval history really, really interesting. And the whole kind of, again, age of sail and muskets and things like that, I find fascinating. Not necessarily because of the empire side of things, but like the sheer... More the rebels. Or, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm more of a rebel alliance, man. But not, not, because, not, because of the, not because of the political side of it, but because of the person side of it. Yeah. Like you had these people, like, being able to reload a cannon in basically cramped quarters where you couldn't stand up right you wouldn't mm. be able to see anything because smoke was everywhere yeah you wouldn't even necessarily know where you're but to do that solidly every 90 seconds i think it's fucking crazy and you had the same with um the the, the social and the impact on man it had is fucking mental rather than what it actually achieved i'm not that kind of guy but um, back to the film. Russell Crowe's weird, isn't he? Yeah, I saw I saw a cool boat in Ireland, the oh, nice. uh, the Asgard. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they it bought a load of guns over from weirdly from Germany to fight in the war against the Germans. 
but it turns out they bought a load of talking of reloading they bought a load of guns that uh were like i think it was i want to say world war one so they were really good 20 years ago but by the time uh gun technology had got to the point it had during world war one they were really shit <laughs> so despite bringing all of these weapons over and thinking that they would fight the war really well it ended up being crap yeah Anyway, but yeah, Master Commander is a lot more interesting than I just made it sound. It's perfectly cast, and I, 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 it sounds like I'm trying to oversell it, but I legitimately think it's a masterpiece of filmmaking. I think it's criminally underrated. It should have done a lot better than it is, and I think everyone should watch it. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm sure that your whatever that was is going to do wonders for people picking it up and seeing in their DVD players because I know I definitely won't. <laughs> well, uh. That's your loss. Everybody who, was at, who has actually listened to me and watched it has loved it. My final choice. Final choice. This is a movie that I only saw because Childish Gambino broke his foot. Okay. Um, so I was going to see Childish Gambino at the O2. I didn't realise until the day of the gig that it was postponed because I hadn't seen the emails come through that Childish Gambino had broken his foot. And so went to like check the stage times, I think it was, to go see the gig and saw that it had been postponed till I think the February. I think this is in the November. Um, but I was out in London with my cousin. We wanted something to do, check what was going on, had a look at the listings of the Prince Charles and they were showing this film in 70 millimeter. And I was like, fuck it, let's go see it. It's meant to be a masterpiece. And it fucking was. I'm talking about 2001. A Space Odyssey. Yeah, as I say, first time seeing it, went in completely blind, knew nothing about the movie. How did you see anything? <laughs> you are not in a position to make jokes. <laughs> okay, continue, continue. <laughs> yeah, fuck me. This film blew my mind. It is insane. It For, for a myriad of reasons. So Giant space baby. Exactly that. And look, I, I am very aware that I'm not saying anything particularly groundbreaking by waxing lyrical about how much of a masterpiece 2001 A Space Odyssey is. Oh, The Godfather's a good film, isn't it? <laughs> but I really wasn't. I wasn't prepared for what I went and saw. Like, the opening scene with the monolith and the monkeys, which goes on forever. Oh, the PlayStation 2 and the monkeys? Yeah. Yeah. It caught me completely off guard. Like, I was not expecting any of that. And it kind of gets, like... It goes from there and it gets, I would say it gets stronger and more what the fucky from there. In, I was reading into it and apparently something like two, I think it was 241 people walked out of the premiere because they didn't know what the fuck was going on. Of the premiere? Yeah. Fucking premiere hell. screening. 241 people apparently, yeah, walked out because they didn't know what the fuck was going on. And then I th- I think Arthur C. Clarke turned because who wrote the book? I've never, have you have you read any of his stuff? I haven't. No, but apparently, um, apparently there's a bunch of sequels to this as well, and as in in uh, literature form. I, is it 2010? A space 2010. I feel like there was a film as well of it. I, I'm not entirely sure. It may well be 2010, but yeah. So apparently the the books are do a much better job of kind of explaining what the fuck is going on, mm. but. He, I think he did say, like, if you understand 2001 completely, then we failed. We want to raise far more questions than we answered. Which, 
I quite like. I like that approach to filmmaking. I like a film that makes you think. I like a film where you don't necessarily know exactly what's going on. Or you, I, I don't want Tenet every time. I don't want to like have no idea what's going on and have to Google it afterwards. But I like the kind of open-endedness. There, the, there is a way to do it without disappearing into your own ass. Yeah. The non-Nolan way. Yeah. That's going to lose us listeners. It, Referring to it as the Nolan way. Like, don't get me like Memento, fucking amazing. Oh, Batman stuff, prestige, Inception to an extent. Even if we have covered that, I don't think it's one of the best movies ever made. Inception is but... great, but yeah, it doesn't. And I, I love Interstellar, fantastic film. But also, we've spoken about it before with other directors, but like Nolan films now are just Nolan jacking himself over like all time. Jack, jacking, but but he's already come. <laughs> <laughs> Limp Dick Nolan <laughs> yeah. just flogging his sad hog. But backwards, yeah. Flogging a sad hog is the new flogging a dead horse. <laughs> no, I, lo- I love 2001. Do you, know, do you know why I watched it for the first time? No, did someone else break their foot? No, um, because uh, as mentioned on our last episode, I did a science fiction in the 60s module when I did my history degree. <laughs> Who hurt you? Who didn't? <laughs> Who didn't? So I think... Hal is one of the best movie villains out there. Yeah. Despite essentially being a red blinking dot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And definitely one of the most, because the, th- the thing with 2001 A Space Odyssey is it's definitely up there with... So if I was to put this on a list, yeah, it would be films people reference without knowing it's a film. Yeah. Because so many people... Like, I, I knew a load of the scenes before I watched it mm. because South Park took the piss out of them. Or other films had taken influence in what they were doing, or or whatever. But it, 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 even if you haven't watched 2000 Space Odyssey, you know. If you own a PlayStation 2, which was categorically designed after the monolith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apart from the monolith didn't have PS2 written on it. But... Apart from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or a HDMI cable. Did, it have, did the PS2 have an HDMI cable? Uh, no. You're talking, that's, that's, that's Scott and my old little combi <laughs> yellow TV. Oh, classic this movie came out in 1968 and the whole hal thing is kind of insane when in the context of this movie coming out in 1968 because it's a proper like deep dive into the implications of artificial intelligence and machine learning way but i mean we're only kind of scratching the surface of this now like 50 60 years later like the fact that it was addressed at that time is is kind of yeah, it's kind of crazy. You then also, then you move, so I guess there's there's kind of these three distinct parts to the film, right? You've got the monkeys at the PS2, you've got the um, space station stuff yeah. with Hal. The, the geckos with the Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that just Ge- Gex? Do you remember Gex? Gex oh, the gecko? He was um, voiced by the cat from Red Dwarf. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realise yeah, that. Danny, Danny John Jules, I think. Oh, fantastic. But then you go into the third act, which is kind of like, I guess, again, it's it's really weird, but it's kind of like a meditation on mortality, the cycle of life and death and everything, the cyclical nature of it, its fragility, but then also the weirdest and most trippy ending to a film ever with a giant space baby. Obvs. Obviously. Every film should end with a giant space baby. Again. Out of nowhere. No. And then you have the, there's like the weird kind of going through the like kaleidoscope tunnel thing yeah. as well. 
I can only imagine, and I haven't done this, but I can only imagine what watching 2001 A Space Odyssey would be like whilst very high. Oh, God. It's definitely a film that was designed for that. Well, without a doubt. Yeah. So apparently there's also, like, I mean, it's got a fairly sizable running time, right? I think it's like 153 minutes, I want to say. It's a long old film. Apparently there is enough footage for 200 times that running time. Fucking hell. Which is ridiculous. And also, just to kind of bring it back around to my first choice, it shares some DNA with Drive in that there is a lot of silence in the movie. So there's no dialogue in the first 25 minutes of the movie. This ends at 25 minutes, 38 seconds, when there's a, the stewardess on the space thing speaks. Oh, yeah. um, and also the last 23 minutes of the movie, there's also no dialogue. So you've got those two like really lengthy sections that are like no dialogue, but also sections throughout the movie with no dialogue there's 88 minutes of this film as silent in oh, terms wow. of in terms of dialogue which is kind of for a movie that's i mean that's half the movie basically over half the movie it's yeah i mean the thing is well with kubrick is like he's not you've got especially now i suppose you've got a lot of like a lot of directors are like genre directors Right. So, like, Tarantino films are hyper-violent. Uh, well, Tarantino's a genre. Yeah. Rather rather than being a genre director, Tarantino but, is a genre himself. But then you've also he? got, like, you know, Nolan films. Yeah. Like, all of these, like, big directors now, I would say, maybe with the exception of, like, Spielberg. Spielberg does quite a lot of, like, different the, you, bits you, and you pieces. Still, you still could... You can feel it's a Spielberg film when you're watching a Spielberg film. Yeah, you you can, but I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, you know, because he did, he's done a wide range of stuff from, like, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Kubrick is, like, he's a fucking master. Like, when you take into account the wide range of stuff that he's done, from The Shining to 2001 to Doctor Strange. So he's done one of the funniest films ever made. One of the yeah. best sci-fi movies ever made. Yeah. One of the best horror movies ever made. Yeah. And one of the best films that featured Tom Cruise at an orgy. Yeah. Yeah. And Clockwork Orange. Shit, I forgot. I always forget that was him. Yeah. Uh, big scenes filmed at Brunel University. Yes. Yeah. But like, yeah, the, the sheer, like when you, when you take into consideration what this guy did, like I, there's, there's very few directors out there that can hold a candle to Stanley Kubrick. No, you're right. I, I, I can't. I, he, he, he's definitely in kind of, I think, uh, a tier of his own. Yeah. There's, there's, I, I'm not even sure who I put as my favourite directors. I think it changes depending on how I'm feeling. Also, another one that we haven't had the opportunity to talk about, but I love, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Great film. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket is very distinctly two films. Oh, it is completely two films. The and first... another film... That took me by complete surprise. Yeah. The, the first half of Full Metal Jacket is one of the best war movies ever made. Yeah. I can't remember any of the last half. Yeah. Oh, just the, yeah, the sheer, um, oh, what's the guy's, what's the, is it Private? Um, Pyle. Pyle, yeah. Who's um Vincent De... Derulo? Vincent De... Jason Derulo. Big Bug from Men in Black. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, oh, Kubrick. Bloody, bloody master. But yeah, I, 2001 for me is one of those films that 
it lives up to the it lives up to the billing of like this is a film that you have to see, like one of the films you have to see before you die kind of things it is so freaking good if you get the opportunity again to i, I know unfortunately we're not sponsored by the prince charles cinema but if you get the opportunity to go watch this at the prince charles cinema 70 millimeter they show it fairly frequently just go and do it because it's it to to have the the first time seeing this being in a cinema as well like oh, yeah. it's definitely a film that's made it's a film for screen there's there, i i would like to do an episode on that at some point of films that need to be seen in the cinema yeah um, and even that's... from a even from like an audio point of view because that you know oh, the, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, iconic yeah. 2001 music yeah i forget what it's you know exactly what i mean but i can't remember what it's called Let's find it. Dun dun, yeah, dun, exactly. dun 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 Yeah. One one thing, just to tie this again back to my history degree, I always forget Stanley Kubrick did Spartacus. Yeah. Not only was Stanley Kubrick basically integral to what would like just cinema in general, but Spartacus destroyed the Hollywood blacklist. So he basically removed that political boundary yeah. for a load of people involved. In Hollywood, which is fucking mental. What a guy. 2001 Space Odyssey, we should have spoken about it before because it is one of those films that just is... It's it's iconic. It has paved the way for many a sci-fi film. And it, it, in, a, in a similar but very different vein to Tokyo Gore Police, it is nuts. And I love that. Space Babies. And my final choice. Yes. And this time, Graham, not about history. Fuck for that. So, weirdly, I'm, I'm going to fit a very little bit of this section in about another film, because I'm going to kind of cheat, but it's majority going to be about something else. So, okay. one thing that has been criminally underrepresented on our podcast has been documentaries. Uh, yeah, that's a fair So, point. we haven't had a documentary-specific episode yet. I think we had a couple penciled in that then got overthrown by relevant hashtags we could jump on. So we did other things like the Suicide Squad and stuff like that. Yeah. But in our defense, I didn't expect the Suicide Squad to be that good, and I had to keep talking about it. So it is what it is. So there are a load of documentaries I could have picked from for this. So the act of killing is fucking insane. Three identical strangers, tell me who I am, Wiener, uh, Amy, Blackfish, won't You Be My Neighbour is a very touching documentary on Mr. Rogers. Then I thought, you know what? I really like watching sport documentaries. So I thought, fuck it. I'm going to pick a sport documentary. There's a load of really cool sport documentaries out there. So you've got The Dawn Wall and Free Solo, if you're looking for a bit of rock climbing. But also, they can fuck themselves. Uh, Free Solo is so good. Have you watched The Dawn Wall? No. I think we spoke about this recently. Because it's yeah. the same rock face. It's the, it's the same... It's a different path up the... It's a more difficult path up the same thing, yeah. basically. I was close to doing a documentary called Oceans Apart, Greed, Betrayal, and Pacific Rugby because it legitimately changed how I view International Rugby Union, but also I would have talked about that. That, that could have got even more boring than um, me talking about tall ships. Not sure but that's it's very, possible. But it's, it's worth watching. It's, it's, it's just less than an hour, and it's basically talking about how the Pacific nations in rugby are taken advantage of by more powerful countries. I was very close to doing, weirdly, the last documentary I watched, 
Untold Crime and Penalties, which is on Netflix, which is uh, a hockey documentary about basically the guy The Sopranos is based on for a minor league hockey team. And it's fucking insane. It, it, it sounds amazing. Also, when you just said about the last documentary you watched, I definitely thought you were going to go to uh, My Octopus Teacher. Uh, so, oh, fuck, no. Good, very, very good point. Actually, the last documentary I watched was My Octopus Teacher off of Graham's, I wouldn't say recommendation, but it, it, it was a good documentary. I don't understand why people say it's the, one of the best documentaries ever made, and he definitely fucked the octopus. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. He, it was the line, and that was the last time I had physical contact with the octopus. Yeah. Is that, no, not ever. I'm, I'm out, guys. <laughs> If you're a fan of sport documentaries, the ESPN 30 for 30 films are incredible. So there's one called Scab, which is about Washington and the player strike. The Good, the Bad and the Hungry is one of the weirdest documentaries I've ever watched about competitive eating. Of Miracles and Men, which I think you watched a little bit. So there's The Miracle on Ice, which is a very famous hockey thing yeah. where the US team beat the Soviet Union. But the documentary looks at it from the Russian perspective, and you never have that in a sport documentary. No, that was that was that was really interesting. I, I mean, but weird as well to the point that the Russians were basically like had these guys in like from the army camps. Yeah, uh, they weren't allowed to see their families. They were just drilled to play hockey twenty four seven. Yeah, based um, on um, when they when they started learning, it was based on a book because they didn't have access to watch hockey. Yeah. Another very good niche uh, documentary on Netflix, which you may get to, is uh, the Home Game documentary. No, series. I didn't. I didn't include those because it was a series. Yeah, but they they were great. So like the the, um, the whatever the th- like the MMA rugby thing that they play in um, Italy. Italy. I want to go to. I I would love to see that. And there's only four games a season because it's so violent. And it's a mix. Yeah, it's a mix between basically just outright brawling, rugby and football. Yeah, so it's called. Um, Cal- Calcio Storicchio. Is it just like the game? Or it translates to something really simple. Um, yeah, I'm not, not sure. But is um, it, is it, it's, so, I've watched that documentary so many, that episode of that so many times. Oh, it, it's, it is legitimately insane. So a couple of other kind of 30 for 30 ones. Silly Little Game is a documentary on the rise and rise of fantasy football. There's also a documentary called The Band That Wouldn't Die. Have you heard of that? No. So it's a documentary about the Baltimore Colts right. marching band. Okay. So the Baltimore Colts, very famously... Left Baltimore under the cover of darkness. Yeah, they, they basically <laughs> left Baltimore at midnight, loaded up a load of trucks, and fucked off to Indianapolis. Yeah. Which left Baltimore without... Uh, sorry, if, you, if there is noise in the background, it is literally Graham's cat just sorting out its kitty litter. <laughs> so they uh the team left but you still had the baltimore colts marching band in baltimore right and it's about them trying to stay together and then they end up becoming the the ravens marching band and it's really interesting but for me i've decided to go for a documentary that charts one of the most batshit intense races known to man death race 2000 death race 2000 no so this documentary is called the barclay marathons the race that eats its young and it's fucking mental so the barclay marathons is an ultra marathon that's held in frozen head state park in tennessee it was designed by this guy called gary lazarus lake cantrell so it was inspired upon hearing about the 1977 escape of james earl ray who was the assassin of martin luther king jr 
um, and he escaped from the nearby Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. And he escaped for, he was on the lam for 55 hours. And in 55 hours, he only covered like eight miles in this wilderness. And Cantrell said to himself, I could have done at least 100 miles. So he started the Barkley Marathons. Right. So the Barkley Marathons is five 20 mile loops in this national park. The mileage doesn't account for the elevation. The elevation over the course of the whole thing is twice Everest. So it's not 20 miles a loop. It's 20 miles-ish, and it changes each time. Yeah. So that's 100 miles across the Tennessee outback, and you have to complete it within 60 hours. Right. If you don't feel like you can do that, you can do the fun run, and the fun run is only three laps. Fun. Yeah. So the, the first two laps you go clockwise. So the way it's timed means one would be generally one would be in the day, and then one would be at night. And then you do it again anti-clockwise for two. And then the fifth lap, whoever crosses the line first gets to pick whether they want to go clockwise or anti-clockwise. Right. And then each subsequent person over it goes the opposite direction. Okay. So you're running the last lap basically entirely by yourself. As of 2018, 55% of the events finished with no finishes. Understandable. And uh, out of over a thousand starts, the full race has only been completed 18 times by 15 different people. The application process costs $1.60 and is mostly a secret, but you basically have to write an essay saying why you want to enter. Once you get approved, the entry fee is whatever Gary wants it to be, and it generally depends on what he needs. So some years it'll be socks, right. other years it'll be a, like a t-shirt. If it's your first attempt, you have to have a car registration plate from where you live. And each race starts with a sacrifice. So Gary will pick someone he knows won't finish the race that he thinks will cave in the first lap. Yeah. And he'll pick him and give the number one number just so someone finishes. Someone fails immediately and he can laugh at them. Um, it's only limited to 40 runners a year. It's mental. The The course is detailed on one map. Yeah. Just the one. And that gets passed around all the, the competitors and they then have to kind of take notes. Um, it's purposefully confusing. And at least one member of the documentary crew got lost for 16 hours in the wilderness. Jesus. Um, each checkpoint is a book. So each lap you get given a number. And when you get to the book, you have to tear out that page of the book to prove you got there. Okay, I like that. Yeah, and the race starts at any time between midnight and noon on day one. You are notified an hour before the start of the race because the organiser blows into a conch shell. Yeah, I was just reading about this. And then it officially begins when he lights a cigarette. Lights a cigarette at the start line. <laughs> um, and if you fail, taps gets played on a bugle, which is traditionally played for dead, dead soldiers. Nice. Um, the current record is 52 hours, 3 minutes and 18 seconds, and the slowest time is 59 hours, 41 minutes and 21 seconds. Bloody John Favorezzi. Yeah. I, so the documentary covers basically a year in this race. Yeah. Um, it introduces you to the sheer batshittery that is how it's planned and it's organized and just the sheer 
pain and suffering people put themselves through to finish this. And you, do, do you know what they win? No. Nothing. They just get to say they finished the Barclay Marathon. I mean, also, to be fair, like, that, that feels like it's kind of enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it is it also, insane. Who the fuck is this Jared Campbell guy that's done it three times? Uh, he's a guy who's done it three times. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. Uh, Do you I know, know what, though? I, it sounds horrendous, right? And it sounds insane. And obviously, like, you know, we've even discussed today that you are probably not going to do your half marathon. So the idea of, you know, rocking up to the wilderness for 60 hours, not really know where you're running, not really understanding the, mm. you know. Um, however, I'd rather do that than listen to you talk about ships again. <laughs> I'll hold you accountable to that. <laughs> but no, ultra marathons, I don't fully understand. There, there, there is a Welsh documentary I want to watch, um, which I think is called like the 40, it's like 47 Kappa or something, right. which is about this guy who just decides he wants to run one of the most difficult ultra marathons there is that takes in all of the mountain peaks in North Wales. Okay. Funny enough, I mean, my um, the captain of the rugby team I play for recently did. I don't know if you'd call it an ultra marathon, but it was definitely a series of marathons to run from Conwy in North Wales down to Cardiff. Oh, um, it also resulted in the worst picture I've ever seen in my life. I never, yeah. ever, ever need to see someone's toenail fall off. Yeah, but I, I can't. I, I just can't imagine doing something like that, and I can't imagine doing something. Um, to be fair, so, uh, so Dean. Did uh, the Welsh Ultra Marathon? I will dump in the episode notes the charity they did it for because fair fucking play. Yeah, I, I just the, the Barclay Marathon is just such an insight into madness. Like just as you don't think it's going to get any weirder, it gets weirder, and then people start getting lost and then falling out, and then you see the sheer state of people not being able to finish it. And like, so like I said, the guy who came up with this, this like this Gary Cantrell is one of the most sadistic people who's ever lived. He's, he's designed this marathon not to be completed. Yeah, he, he sounds like a, a piece of shit. Who was the guy? Have you ever seen... There's a documentary, and I can't remember... If, I don't think it was Dark Tourist. It was um, about like this really extreme like horror house. It was Dark Tourist. Is it a Dark Tourist one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, you have to sign a waiver before you get... It's something farms. Yeah, you have to sign a waiver before you go in, and the guy he uh, guy lasted like ten seconds. Yeah, it was so messed up. Um, I remember looking into it afterwards, but similar in the Makani Manor. But talking of like really sadistic people, like it that that was wild. Oh yeah, that was um, <coughs> just not on, was it? I love a good documentary, and the Barkley Marathons is. A good thing about a documentary for me is being able to, like, I like talking about it afterwards. Yeah. And there's no documentary that I've talked about afterwards quite like the Barkley Marathon. Because it, it's so strange and it's so weird. It just sticks with you. So that's our, that's our choices. We can do a final top three out of yours. Which are you... Do you want to go most surprised we haven't talked about or films that deserve to have been talked about the most? Ooh. I would say probably deserved. 
I was going to go. I'm going to do mine based on surprise. Okay. So deserved for me would be uh, in third place. Seiko Gold please is fantastic. However, Drive is better, and it. I mean, if we're talking about deserved, two thousand one: A Space Odyssey is one of the best films ever made. So we should have addressed this sooner. If I was to go surprised, I think we've both spoken about how we're surprised that we haven't picked Drive for something. Yeah. Um, well, more specifically, I'm surprised you haven't picked Drive for oh, something. Oh, yeah, because I fucking love it. I, I, I like it, <laughs> but you definitely like it more than I do. Yeah. And then probably Space Odyssey and Take... Actually, no, Take a Girl, Please, then Space Odyssey, maybe, because Take a Girl, Please, again, it's one of the pillars of our relationship. True, true. So, yeah. Um, so, for me, and I, I think this is for Deserved, Barkley Marathons would come in at number three. Just because it is so, it is so fucking weird, but again, I, I, regardless of the boring history stuff, Master and Commander is it is a masterpiece that nobody seems to have even heard of. So I put that at number two, and then Galaxy Quest is legitimately one of my favorite films, and I think it is it is a love letter to cinema, and that's basically what this fucking podcast is anyway. Yeah. For surprised, we haven't talked about. I would flip Master and Commander and the Barclay Marathons just because if we had done a documentary episode, I would have talked about the Barclay Marathons. But we haven't done one yet, so we're going to have to address that. Yeah. The combined podcast top three, kind of keeping both of those in mind. What, what are you thinking? <coughs> I don't know. I don't even know. Because, because for me, out of those, yeah, I am most surprised we haven't talked about Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Drive. Yeah. Tokyo Gore, please. Yeah. Because, um, like I said, Galaxy Galaxy Quest is one of my favorite films, and it's weird that I haven't crowbarred that into something yeah. yet drive i know for a fact is one of your favorite films so i'm surprised i haven't tried to be weird and make a point about crowbarring it in somewhere and tokyo core police is the foundation of our movie-based friendship <laughs> this is very true it, it comes in second it, 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 the in chronological order desperado tokyo Gore police midsummer yeah so just for the just for the sheer importance to us i'm gonna go tokyo Gore police first yeah, drive second, Galaxy Quest third. Sounds good to me. Um, but a very close second and third. It's just because Galaxy Quest is third because you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, but we're going to remedy that. We're going to remedy within that. the week. Okay, so uh, the podcast nobody asked for was films we haven't chosen yet. So number three we have Galaxy Quest. Number two we have Drive, and number one we have the incredible piece of cinema that is Tokyo Gore Police. Before we go into the whole social media shit, yeah, a very sincere thank you for still listening. I don't think either of us thought we would have the listenership we do. No, and not in the slightest. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's currently 10 to 1. So, 10 to 1, and we've been drinking the entire time we've been watching this. So, it'd be very easy to get emotional, but I'm not going to. But, yeah, thanks, guys. You're all awesome. Yeah, much. Very appreciated. And... It's it's been an interesting year in the sense of like obviously everything that's going on um in the world in general, but it's been um it's been cool to have we've had uh, yeah I'm not gonna delve into the individuals but we've had a few people saying like oh this is like kind of helped through all of the shit which has been massively insane because I didn't think my ramblings would uh, uh would uh, have any kind of positive impact on anything. We've also, uh, like, 
I think we've spoken about it before. We certainly, certainly spoke about it with Daryl on the um the episode we did with with him recently. But like the little microcosm of the internet of like indie movie podcasts is a really like welcoming and fun place to kind of be. So that's been fun as well. Kind of meeting. I don't think we've met necessarily met anyone in person yet, but like having those kind of uh, that camaraderie through. Uh, yeah, through a shared interest of talking shit about films. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been fun. Here's to, here's to many more. And now every year we can talk about films we haven't chosen yet, and uh, I will try not to make it a boring history speech. So, if you liked our choices, if there are any other films you're surprised we haven't talked about yet, uh, you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. Um, also, message me if you want a detailed understanding of uh, naval history. I'm there for it. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon at the podcast nobody asked for, where you can become a friend of the podcast and uh, help us make it bigger and better, and maybe finally get some of those listeners from Antarctica. Yes, if like me, you struggled to get through the Master and Commander bit, reach out on Twitter. We can have a chat about it. We'll see what we can do about Ian. Um, you can talk to us on Twitter at nobody asked for pod with the number four. You can also find us there on Facebook as well. And for all of the social media goodness and um, Patreon links, etc., head to uh, the podcast nobody asked for.co.uk. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser um, and in your review for any future ideas you have for any episode. We'll be sure to do the best ones. We have a fairly hefty backlog of requested episodes now. this as you have highlighted there are a couple of negatives with this choice so number one we would need to wean him off of marmalade sandwiches because to especially to sustain the bulk we'll be going for with a fully grown bear he's going to have to be eating a bit more of a protein rich diet there is going to be a window of time where he isn't going to be really killing zombies i'll have to do that by myself we do run the risk of a zombie bear yeah, that's so quite if, a big risk. If this doesn't go well, and it turns out the zombie virus can infect bears, or maybe, by some miracle, turns out I'm a shit teacher of bears, and that is a that's a bigger problem than I initially thought. Because I, when writing this negative list, I thought you know a zombie bear is going to be fucked up, man. Like it's going to be kind of scary, but. What's worse than that is having to kill a zombie Paddington. <laughs> like, the world the world has basically ended. If we're going full zombie apocalypse, the majority of the people you've known and loved through your life are dead. The city's destroyed. You're just trying to eke out what survival you can, and you have to kill Paddington. Like, that's enough to tip anyone over the edge. Would you, I guess this goes back to my, my Rick Sanchez point of like needing someone that can, that can kind of do the deed in that scenario. Would you feel comfortable that 
you could take Paddington out before he turned, like innocent sort of bitten Paddington, but he's he's still there mentally. He's still Paddington to you. Um, yeah, I mean, so that that's the problem. I, I feel like I could, um, but there's nothing quite as visceral and acute as the guilt of knowing you're the reason Paddington Bear is dead. <laughs> Question. Would you sacrifice infinite seagulls to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl? Do I personally have to sacrifice? Yeah, you have, okay. to, you have to sacrifice. You have to, and like with your bare hands, you need to see the life drain from their eyes. Okay, so not an, not an infinite number, because that sounds like some kind of shitty genie wish. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, well, I said infinite, so you're just going to be here until you die. Okay. If you if you can give me a number, I would. All right, or, or, let, let, let's let's change this question, shall we? How many seagulls will I kill with my bare hands to be able to watch the Vikings win the Super Bowl? Um, too many. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure I'm comfortable answering. Let's let's hang on. Let, let's figure this out. Okay. Okay. So I've got my stopwatch. Start. One and a half seconds. So I think I could comfortably kill a seagull every one and a half seconds. So. <laughs> How many seconds you catch the seagull as well? Oh, I thought they were lined up. Well, yeah. So, no, no, so, so am I am I a seagull murderer or am I a seagull hunter? Like, do I have to go out there hunting and catching seagulls, or are they just supplied to me in they're, a pack? They're supplied to you. But when I say you have to catch it, it's not like they're. It's not like it's placed in. It's not on a conveyor belt where it's. You know, we're not. We're not drugging the seagulls. You have to at least kind of. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So no, no. So there'll be. Wings tied? They're, they're conscious. <laughs> okay, so in 12 hours, there are 43,200 seconds. 43,000. Here goes, here goes any uh, Peter sponsorship we might have been thinking about. Okay, so... With a, oh, I didn't factor in a rest. Arrest? Oh, yeah, you may get arrested, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Um, so, if I was to do... Uh, 86,400... <laughs> <laughs> that's at my at my approximate seagull killing rate yeah that would be three days of 12 hour shifts <laughs> so I, I could i feel like i could be able to get through it maybe 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 over the course of a week okay so that, that's that's 36 hours at a constant pace of a seagull every one and a half seconds Jeez. again we're, we're we're currently recording usually when i'm asked how many seagulls i'm willing to kill for a certain thing i would take an average of how how quickly I think I could twist the neck motion, but yeah, so eighty thousand, eighty thousand. Okay, so interestingly, I was the number I was going to pick was seventy five thousand. So you've you've surpassed that. So I think, ladies and gentlemen, if the Vikings win the Super Bowl this year, <laughs> you know what Ian's been up to. Just did a bit of maths. The thirty seven point three tons of seagull. <laughs> <laughs> um, it might just be how I measure how much I want something now. <laughs> <laughs> so now now i've set that because the, the the thing with like spectrums is knowing you've got to have your access so now i know viking super bowl is 37.3 tons yeah i i feel like i can gauge in tonnage right and i know 37.3 tons should take three 12 hour shifts so i can kind yeah. of mentally picture it a lot so you've got now. a really good it's a good it's a good scale it's a good system i don't so know that's... why i don't know why people haven't learned about it before. like yeah you, you've got that for the vikings in the super bowl then you can say i don't know that last slice of pizza <sighs> yeah you see that that's a lot like wales wales rugby world cup that's probably more yeah um won't discuss how much more slice of pizza i, I mean a 10 minute shift 
Ten minutes shift. Okay, okay that's, shift still, that's still a lot more. I was going to say ten seagulls, but you're killing one every one point five seconds, so ten minutes. Of- well, yeah, and I'm assuming you know that that time could fluctuate depending on lactic acid buildup, depends how much I'm training. So I'm assuming if this is something that I'm now spending my life doing, I'm going to be my, my gym workouts are going to change <laughs> a lot more twisting. Can we talk about the mask, though? Yeah, we can talk about the mask. So the doof warrior wears a mask made of his murdered yeah. mum's face. That's the dried not skin ideal. of his murders, murdered mum's screaming face, specifically. Yes. So that's not really <laughs> my scene, but I do like the red jumpsuit he's wearing. I think <laughs> I can make that work. Yeah. So, like, pr- preferably, <laughs> don't want to wear my mum's face. Oh. I know we spoke about it before, but um, <laughs> if someone wants to start a no context podcast, nobody asked for. I think that's the first first out of context quote we need. Preferably, I don't want to wear my mum's face. Yeah, oh, I'm just trying to think. I know my dad <laughs> listens to this. Um, basically, the sacrifices you have to make for your aunt. 